me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 will be in verses 27 through 31. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. This is the word of the Lord. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What is faith? Faith, I believe, in our world, in our popular culture, has been regulated, has been delegated to mere trust or confidence. Songs have told us we just got to have faith. Faith, the faith, right? But they never answer what are we to have faith in. I think faith for the church is something that we also have problems defining. We believe that faith is important. Faith is a very good religious term, right? Faith, yes, faith, I have faith. But far too often, practically speaking, we don't live as people of faith. We trust in ourselves. We don't rely on God. We seek to do all that we can do to better our own situation. When the church falls into this pattern, I think it's not hard to understand why theology, why doctrine, why belief is quickly compromised. Standing for truth is too costly. So we bend and we fold. We have this mentality in the church that our responsibility as individuals is to pick ourselves up by the bootstrap. You got to do better. You got to do better. Just do better. Just do enough good things. You need to work harder. Man, Jesus, God, he'll be happy with you then. Your life will be better if you just work harder. We trust in self. We trust in our own abilities and we fail to trust in God. We in the church are far too often guilty of living as practical atheists. We say we believe in God. We say we have faith in God that yes, he has done all for us. And then we live as if he's not there. 
We claim to know God and fail to trust him through our actions. Paul in Romans, as we saw last week, has been talking about the righteousness of God and how this righteousness, this alien righteousness that has been applied to us comes through faith alone. He is now narrowing in his focus on the righteousness of God, specifically to faith. He's going to do all, this all the way through the end of chapter 4. Faith is the topic of every paragraph from here until the end of 4. And in each time he talks about faith, he's contrasting it with something. Faith and works, faith and law, faith and living by sight. As opposed, to, as opposed to living by faith. Faith is something that is very important to the church. We talk about the Reformation and the reclaiming of Scripture, and one of the main things they held up was sola fide, sola faith, faith alone. Faith is the only means by which we can be brought into a right relationship with God. Paul, through this section, will argue that this faith, that the justification that you receive through faith is what was always planned. Even the Old Testament teaches this. Faith established the law. It testifies to it. So as we come to our text today, as we look at these few verses, we're going to see three things that we are justified by faith, that he is the God of all. And that the law is upheld. We are justified by faith. He is God of all. And the law is upheld. Let's begin by looking at we are justified by faith. Paul asks a very poignant question here. What then becomes of our boasting? Boasting is a sin that is common to all people. Boasting is nothing less than a reflection, excuse me, of our own pride, of our own arrogance. It's the root of so much sinfulness. Boasting, in essence, is having a wrong relationship between faith and law or faith and works. It's not just with the coming of Jesus that is wrong. It's always been wrong. We look back in the Old Testament, we see the example of Abraham. On what basis did God enter into relationship with Abraham? Because Abraham was a good guy. Because Abraham did more good things than his neighbor down the road. No, Abraham had no cause to boast in himself. His relationship with God was a work of God's grace. Paul here again is rejecting that the relationship to the law gives anyone a special claim on relationship to God. There's nothing wrong with doing the law. The problem comes when we begin to view our works as an achievement. We think that our works establish a greater, a deeper, abiding relationship with God. And so the Greeks may have said, we are so wise. We are the Greeks. We have Greek wisdom, and they hold up their wisdom. Or as Americans, we may say, I'm living the American dream. I've got my land and my gun and my God, and that's all I need. I'm living the American dream, right? 
in the church. We may boast in our good works, our acts of charity, but all these things are empty. We cannot rely on them. Paul is calling us to rely on God's grace alone. Where then is your boasting? What are you boasting in? He says it is excluded. By what kind of law then is it excluded? By a law of works? No. By a law of faith. Paul puts the law out there and says it will not save you. Whether you view the law as your good works, the good things that you do, whether you view the law as the Torah, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, neither of these things can save you. You must rest in the law of faith. This is not a new rule. It's not done apart from the law. It's done through Jesus. It still required obedience to the law, didn't it? But Jesus obeyed the law. Works no matter what they are in ourselves, cannot make us right with God. Only Jesus can make us right with God. Boasting is not something that has gone away. Boasting is something that we still deal with, still deal with every day. And each of us in this room boasts in something. Without exclusion, we all boast in something. Maybe we boast in our, our work. What do we do for a living? I'm really good at this. Or maybe we boast in our hobbies. Sometimes it's not so overt. It's not like we're walking around going, I'm the best at this. And you should really like me because I'm the best at this. It's not always like that. Sometimes it's that boastfulness and the quietness of our own hearts. As we see the other person struggling in their sin and going, look at them. I'm not like that guy. I'm doing pretty good. Or we boast in little things. Well, God, I didn't lose my temper too bad today. That means I'm doing all right, right? I put, I put some money in the plate today. I'm doing good. That should get me something. I could go home today and I could go, I, did, I didn't do so bad on the sermon. I did a little good, so I'm okay. In our hearts, we grow puffed up. We trust in the things we do, and we don't trust in Jesus. We cannot view our accomplishments, our achievements, as something we bring to God to help ourselves along. We don't boast in our works. It's not that we stop doing things. It's not that we... Stop doing good works. Yes, it's an outflowing of our faith. We're called to do these things. We're called to live in a righteous manner, but it's not the living or the doing that saves us. Yes, we come to worship. Yes, we come and give. Yes, you are to give up your time and your money and everything else. You're to help that person on the side of the road who's hurting. You're not to lose your temper. You're to go to work and do your best at your work. It's okay to have hobbies and be good at them. But it's not about boasting in these things. The grace of God 
is the only thing that we get to boast in. The only thing. And we have nothing to do with it. Zero, zip, zilch. And it's the only thing that saves us. We come, as we talked about last week, with empty hands. And we come to Jesus and he fills us. Well, who is this for? Who gets this great gift? Is this like the lottery that just happened? The Powerball? We have to go sign up and hopefully we'll get that one in three billion chance that we might win the billions, right? How do we get this? Who gets this? How can we receive this precious, great gift? Paul asked this kind of question in a roundabout way. What if justification only came through works of the law? Who can be justified? If justification only comes through works of the law, the only ones who can be justified are those who have the law. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Paul is arguing once again with the Jews here and saying, look, God is also the God of the Gentiles. In fact, his question is implied to have a positive answer. Yes, he's the God of all. There is indeed only one God. He says this at 30. Since God is one, this is the great mantra, even still today, of the Jewish community. It comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. It's the probably only thing I remember from my Hebrew lessons. Shema Israel, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. I think that's right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's important to them even today. And because of this, they're claiming that he is also the God of the Gentiles as well. Oh, they might say, well, Paul, that's not exactly what we mean. Sure, he created them because he's the God of all. And therefore, in, in a sense, he's their God. But we are the only ones who have a meaningful relationship with him. Only by accepting the law can they even have hope. They got to come in and be circumcised and follow the laws like we do. And Paul says, no. The law no longer serves as a dividing wall. All can now freely approach God. All barriers have been removed, and Jesus is the one who has removed these barriers. And this comes through faith. Paul spent a lot of time at the beginning of the book of Romans, a letter to Romans, I should say, making sure that we knew how terrible we were. He said, you're sinful, you're rotten. And he spent a lot of time telling the Jewish people, look, judgment's coming for all people. It's coming for the Gentiles because they're guilty of rejecting God in nature. And it's coming for you because you've rejected God in the law. But then he comes and says, just as universal is judgment, so is his grace. Jesus has come for all. There is no distinction, not between Jew or Gentile. 
all have access to Christ. And as the church, we are called to remember that we cannot erect barriers to the gospel. How would we do this? We add to scripture. You have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. How dare you come into church without your tie and button down shirt on a Sunday morning? Thou shame. We add prohibitions. We say, look, here's your list of do and don'ts. We have them laminated. We have them in the back if you'd like them. And, it said, and they say, here, if you do this and don't do this, you're going to be A-OK. But if you fail, then eh, Jesus probably doesn't love you. Not the way he loves me anyway. We had prohibitions where we prop our theology up as a barrier. We hold our views as only the ones that are right. If you don't follow me, then you're out of luck. I remember growing up, and this is not symptomatic of all Baptist churches by any means. We had a friend in our group of friends who, if you didn't go to the Baptist church in Diaberville, Mississippi, you were out of luck. He's like, you, it's not that you have to go to any Baptist church. You have to go to our Baptist church. It was, I don't know what they were. But that was what he said. He said, look, if you don't come to my church, you're going to hell. In essence, is what he told us all the time. There was barriers being erected to the gospel. We don't hold the entryway into heaven. Only Jesus Christ does. And so we in the church cannot add to the law. We cannot create prohibitions. We have to stop putting up barriers to the gospel. We must understand and proclaim that Jesus has opened the way of righteousness through faith. And all they come. At this point, we might go, wow, Paul really does not like the law. The law must be useless now. I mean, obviously. But Paul doesn't want us to go too far the other way either. He says, do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means may it never be. On the contrary, we uphold the law. <clears throat> Paul's teachings here do seem very anti-law. Works are inadequate. The law, therefore, must be passing into non-existence. But the law is still important. Paul says that the law or that faith, faith establishes the law. The law is fulfilled in essence through Jesus Christ. The reality is this. At the end of the day, we're still judged on the basis of the law. We are still today judged on the basis of the law. But remember last week? Remember we talked about what Jesus come and does in his justifying act? He comes and says, look. You're about to be judged on the basis of the law and your works. But what I've done is I've put my works and my obedience to the law, that's all in your column. 
And everything that you've done, all your disobedience to the law, that's been taken from you. It's been put in my column. We're still judged on the basis of the law. Those who are apart from Christ, guess what they're judged on? The law, everything they've done is still in their column and they will be held accountable for it. Our relationship to Christ by faith fully meets the demands of the law. Faith does not put them aside. It provides the complete fulfillment that God demands. So then what? Okay, well, Christ has done everything. I do nothing, right? Paul is warning us of an opposite extreme. While some people hold the law up and its rules, others hold up grace to the exclusion of all else. The fancy seminary word for this is antinomianism. It basically means this, that under the gospel of grace, the moral law is of no use and it is not necessary at all. They in essence say, go do what you're going to do. It doesn't matter. God's grace will cover it. You don't have to change the way you live because God's grace will cover it. Don't talk to me about right and wrong because I have grace. And this is a very dangerous thing. Paul argues that yes, grace, but grace does not abolish the law. We still have a responsibility to obedience. We cannot just go out and do whatever we want. We cannot rely on grace to the exclusion of obedience. The demands of the law are still present, but we're just no longer slaves to it. We're free from it. And we're free to live a life of obedience. In all of this, we rest in Jesus Christ. We understand, yes, he has fulfilled the law. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he has redeemed us from all the penalties of the law. But now we are called to be like him. Be holy like I am holy. How was Jesus holy? Jesus was holy in that he perfectly and always was obedient to the law. There was not one ounce of sin in him. And so we are to be obedient just as Christ is obedient. The law through faith is upheld. You know, we talked about early on about how we can't boast in ourselves. And that's true. We don't get a boast in ourselves because we haven't done it. But Jesus Christ has. And because he has done it for us, we are now free to go. We are free to labor. We are free to surrender the whole of ourselves to him. It is a wonderful 
and beautiful thing that Paul is proclaiming to us. And in essence, he says, look, get over yourself. You're not that good. In fact, it's not even that you're not that good. It's that you're terrible. Get over yourself. And surrender your lives to Jesus Christ. And as you surrender your life to him, burn yourself out for him. Labor without ceasing. Yes, seek after the law. Seek to love your neighbor. Seek to love your God. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't do any of those things. Go into the world. Make disciples of all nations. Because I am your God. And I have supplied my righteousness to you through faith. It is a wonderful beautiful reality that Paul is painting for us. Because guess what? Now it doesn't matter about you. Oh, what if I don't go and I don't do that right? It doesn't matter. Jesus already did it right for you. It doesn't matter if you say the wrong words as you're talking about Jesus. Because guess what? He's done it for you. It doesn't matter if you serve that person exactly the right way. Because Jesus has done it for you. Now you're free. You're free to go and do The law is still upheld. It's not that we go and live our life however we want. No, we live our life after Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. You are justified by faith. You've been freely given the gift of justification. Your works, your sinfulness is off the table. Note, not just those that you did before you were saved. All of them, the totality of them have been taken care of through Jesus Christ. So it's not about what you do anymore. It's not about your good actions. It's not about your bad actions. It's about Jesus. He has come for you. There is no national or cultural prohibition for who he came to. And he has not abolished the law, but he has established it. He has restored you to the law. Now you're free to worship. You're free to serve. How are we going to respond? Paul has called us to faith and to obedience. To faith in Jesus and obedience to the law, not for the sake of the law, but for the sake of our faith in Jesus. These two are married. They cannot be separated. It's not works righteousness and it's not grace, grace and more grace. Well, that sounds good in theory, but you understand what I'm saying. It's about obedience. It's about faith. It's about trusting. Uh, we answer the question, you got to have faith, right? What do you need to have faith in? You need to have faith in Jesus Christ and his accomplished works of redemption in his satisfying the wrath of God for you. 
And you've got to have faith that as you go forth, seeking to live a life of obedience, that it has been accomplished. It's done. It's over. It's not, there's nothing else to add to it. Now we go and we work and we labor and we strive and we go through this life of sanctification, of becoming more holy. But we do it without fear, without trepidation, without hesitation. How will you respond? You who are called by Jesus' name, how will you respond? Let's pray. Dear Grace.